0: Welcome back to another episode of More Happy Life. This is your host, Andy Proctor. I'm so happy that you're here today. I'm glad that you chose to make your life a little bit happier today by listening to this episode. And really, you made the right choice because today we're going to have an awesome conversation with my guest, Cass Lee Killam. She is an amazing just an amazing person who has done amazing things and who has some incredible tips and knowledge that she shares with us, as well as her story, which is so cool. So I will introduce you to her. Cassie Killam, MPH, is the founder of Social Health Labs, an impact organization that leads programs, events, and content related to social connection, loneliness, and health. She completed a master's at the Harvard School of Public Health, where she deepened her expertise on these topics, and now partners with organizations at local, state, and national levels on initiatives that aim to reduce isolation and improve social well-being, which we talk a little bit about in this episode, which is so cool. Cassidy regularly contributes articles to publications such as New York Times, Scientific American, and Psychology Today. Casley currently serves on the board of directors of two nonprofits, is an Encore Public Voices Fellow, and is a World Economic Forum Global Shaper. Uh, Previously, she led a national community engagement strategy and partnerships for Verify Life Sciences conducted research on mental health and positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, the, the Positive Psychology Center there, which is where Positive Psychology was founded, and uh, developed an award-winning campaign to promote empathy and compassion. Casley also has extensive experience working on, with startups and in healthcare innovation, which we, we talk a lot about, um, about that, about uh, a lot of the startups that are doing really cool things um, in the world um, for social health. And she really, she defines social health for us as well, which is so cool. And I love her website says that she is a social scientist by training an innovative leader in practice, community connector at heart, which is so true. and She's a phenomenal individual. I'm excited for you to listen to this episode because it is just jam-packed with so many nuggets about human connection, which we all, I think, are craving right now, and how we can uh, increase and improve our health based on our just simply connecting with other people that we really care about. So, So glad you're here, and welcome to this episode with Casley Killam about social health. All right, Casley, so great to have you on the show today. There are a lot of things that may not be great about social media, but finding amazing people like you, who I believe are in my tribe, (laughs) is not one of those things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Great uh, to be with you today. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, I love uh, discovering other change agents in the world and uh, was just especially interested in your focus of social health. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I just got accepted to a PhD program to study health psychology and friendship and the impact of of friendship on our health. So what you teach and we are talking about, you know, evangelizing about out there has been really on my mind quite a bit lately.
1: Well, congratulations. I'm so excited for you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I'm excited for me too now. So, uh, you know, and I always love learning about why people choose the path that they do. So can you tell me a little bit about your social health superhero origin story. Uh, (laughs) Like what led you to this pathway and and why is this so important to you personally?
1: Yeah, well, I always struggle to choose which story to tell when people ask me this question. I think the motivation (laughs) for what I do comes from a lot of different sources, different personal experiences over my lifetime, different professional experiences, but knowing your love of positive psychology, I'll share one of the stories and one of the sources of inspiration that relates to positive psychology. So when I was halfway through my undergraduate degree studying psychology up in Canada, where I'm from, I was considering taking a year off. I just wasn't sure about my path. I was considering medical school and journalism and all kinds of things. And I kept vacillating over whether I should take a year off all summer until finally my brother said to me, Casley, your excuses are bullshit. And at first I was so offended by
0: this.
1: (laughs) I couldn't believe it because I felt like my so-called excuses were very legitimate. I was worried about how I was going to pay for it, how I'd support myself for the year. I was worried about, you know, graduating a year behind all my friends. Uh, But I thought about it for a while and I realized he was right. And so that same day I booked a one-way ticket to France and in the following two weeks I applied for and got a visa to go live and work in France. I applied for and got accepted into method acting school in Paris and I got on a plane and (laughs) flew to France and I studied method acting there and it was an incredible experience. That's a whole other conversation that we could go into. It was really fascinating. Wow! But the important thing that happened while I was there is that one day I was in a little bookstore on this random street and I came across a book by a man who is a Buddhist monk. Uh, named Mathieu Ricard, he is a Buddhist monk now but he actually used to be a molecular geneticist, he did his PhD I believe in France and has since become very close with the Dalai Lama, he works really closely with people like Richard Davidson at the University of Wisconsin-Madison on contemplative science and on studying how meditation uh, influences the brain. And I read his book, I sat in this little cafe reading his book And it talked all about positive psychology and about meditation and about the science of well-being and what are the different ingredients for not just a happy, healthy life, but a really fulfilling, meaningful life. And Mm -hmm. I sat there reading that book, and the only way I can describe it is that I was overcome in every cell of my body with the strongest conviction I've ever felt that I had to dive into this way further and that this was something I needed to explore. And so as a result of that, I you know, finished up method acting in France and then I went and spent a month in a Buddhist monastery in Nepal studying meditation and Buddhism. And then from there, I went to Philadelphia and spent a summer um, as a research assistant at the University of Pennsylvania in the positive psychology center that Martin Seligman founded. And truly that year, exploring that research, really uh, getting into the science of well-being and learning for the first time about the research on human relationships, empathy, compassion, how deepening our relationships influences our health and well-being, those topics and insights, that set me on the whole path that I'm on today. And that year and that kind of internal sense of calling and that compass that emerged inside of me that said this is the direction you need to go you need to, there's something here that that is for you um, i've just been following it ever since
0: that is amazing i i love <laughs> those types of stories because you know sometimes it's in this 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 is where i asked this question because it's like it's not the you know well i went to school And I found (laughs) the thing and the thing is what I did the rest of my life. It's like, Uh I went on this method acting, you know, jaunt in (laughs) Paris for a year uh, you know, thinking, gosh, this is what I want to do with my life. And you fought, you, you just, you went down that direction, but then Mm -hmm. in, in that, like, and, and I love especially that it was creative. This is this thing. That's just kind of this creative activity. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And Uh, and then you found this Buddhist, uh, or this, this book by, um, Matthew Ricard. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I, I just, I've heard of him as the happiest man on earth or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, and I love that you said this, you just had this overwhelming, like the strongest conviction you'd ever felt that this is it, like this Mm -hmm. is it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many other people I have talked to when, talking about positive psychology or, you know, something in the field of, of, of being and and human flourishing where people Mm -hmm. just have that moment. Right. And I love hearing that story.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I think what's interesting is that moment, you know, it wasn't necessarily that a specific piece of research or a specific part of positive psychology lit a light bulb. It was, this is the direction you need to go. And then from Mm. there, it led me to other things, which led me to other things. And it's just, it's been this continuing source of inspiration and motivation that Mm. came from that moment. And I went on to meet um, Matthew Ricard, as as you say, um, in uh, that summer when I was studying positive psychology. So that was really special to actually meet the person who'd inspired that work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, what a cool moment, that that would have been amazing. that's so, so neat. Thank you for sharing that story. I just, I love hearing those, those types of origin stories because we all have them, you know, and, and if, and, and we're all in the process of them, like right mm-hmm. now, everyone listening yeah. right now is in that. And they're thinking like, where should I go next? What is my calling in life? You know? And, mm-hmm. So it's really cool to hear that. So I want you to tell the listeners, because this is this is what you're all about, like social wellness or social health. Like what is, what is social health? What does that mean?
1: Yeah. So the way I define social health is the dimension of well-being that comes from connection and community. So if you think about physical health as relating to our bodies and mental health as relating to our minds and emotions then social health is really about our relationships. And at this point, there have been so many decades of research on how strong and influence social connection is on our health and well-being, on mm. par with things like obesity or smoking or drinking alcohol. We know from the research how important it is. Mm. And so I think it's really important to use terminology that ties it to health and really elevates social connection as an imperative part of our health and well-being and Mm. something that isn't just a feel good, but is actually necessary and a public health priority. So that's why I like to use the term social health or social wellness to really tie it into the overall uh, dimensions of our health and well-being.
0: I love that so much. You know, I love that you say it's as a public health priority, because I think over time, you know, as we, as humans age, um, we think a lot more about our health, right. And and we Mm -hmm. think a lot less about things like, you know, clubs and friendships and things like that. But then if I, I love what you're doing, because it's the same like it's it matters just as much if not more right because Absolutely. it does affect our health so that's 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 beautiful
1: yeah and i think you know it's it's helpful to realize that just like you eat salad or vegetables or you try mm. to get a good night's sleep or you go for a run or go to the gym social connection is as important as those other health behaviors and so I think starting to conceptualize it in that way and really think about how is my social wellness? You know, am I feeling connected to other people? Do I have communities that I care about and that support me? You know, how are my relationships? How's the quality of my interactions? Those are as important questions as you know, am I eating healthy foods and am I getting enough sleep at night?
0: That's so fascinating, and I love, I love that we're talking about this. Um... And, you know, sometimes uh, my wife and I call it vitamin C, like vitamin connection, (laughs) you know, like it sounds kind of silly, but, (laughs) um, but it's true. Like I, you know, I've tested this out um, doing what I like to call me search, you know, there's like research, but there's like me search. Right. And I've (laughs) kind of tested some of these things out on myself and, and like the weeks and and like the times when I actually, you know, (laughs) when I actually uh, prioritize connecting with, with people, I, I do feel better. And there's even yeah. sometimes when I don't feel well and I have the social engagement that's like, you know, to hang out with people who I, I, I love, but mm-hmm. I'm just so tired or just kind of worn out at the end of the day or whatever. And, and then I always tell myself, you know what? Just go because you're going to feel better afterwards. And I always do. <laughs> I always do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've experienced the same thing. I like the term me search in terms of my own me search. I mean, I've moved around quite a few times. I've now lived in three countries and 10 cities. And I've experienced that myself. And that when I move to a new place, sometimes it's really easy to make friends and to establish a community and network for yourself. Sometimes it's harder, and to your point you know really noticing those differences i've definitely experienced firsthand that in the places where i felt really connected and was able to establish strong relationships i felt so much better i was happier and that translates into other areas of our life we feel more motivated to work hard or to you know take care of our health in other ways because we we feel happy and and connected
0: yeah, so so important. I feel like it's just it's such, and I'm so I'm, I'm just I'm happy that that there's people like you out there that are that are talking about this. Um, so <laughs> you know, and and speaking of people who are talking about this, on a recent interview with um Dr. Julianne Holt-Lunstad, it was actually episode 132. Uh, we talked a good bit about her research on loneliness and health, specifically. So the kind of this lack of social connection or, or a perception of of social isolation. And a lot of people, a lot of researchers have cited her research, as you know, um, about, you know, chronic loneliness being, uh, worse than smoking 15 cigarettes per day is one of the things that a lot of people, uh, talk about in the news, you know, and, um, and, and Ted talks and things like that. And towards the end of our interview, she, she actually talked about what a socially connected or, well, uh, life that is healthy might look like. And we were kind of talking about that. Cause I was like, well, you know, um, here's what loneliness does to your health. Well, what is, what would it look like to have, you know, a really healthy socially connected life? And she, uh, kind of made it clear that she hasn't necessarily collected the data on this, but that it's something that really needs to be done. So, you know, now that um, I have another social health expert on the show, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to have you, you know, share what you see as the sort of healthy, you know, socially connected life uh, for, for the listeners out there. Um, like in just a little bit of context, uh, you know, there's There's standardized, you know, widely accepted guidelines, like you're just talking about for like nutrition, sleep, you know, diet, Um, like what might a sort of, you know, guideline for social connection look like? I know this is like Mm. probably like a million dollar question, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I think it's such a great one too. And I obviously love Julianne's work and reference it often and was actually in a meeting with her today for the coalition to end social isolation and loneliness. Um, And so I think she's right that, you know, the research is kind of lacking on this, but some of it is also intuitive. We know when we feel connected or when we feel lonely. And I think what's tricky about coming up with a standardized guideline for social connection is that social connection is more subjective than things like nutrition and sleep, right? Mm. Eight hours a day, that's our bodies need that nutrition you know eating broccoli or whatever the guidelines are around that those are things that really fundamentally our bodies need and our bodies need social connection too but there's also this psychological element and these different personal preferences that we have right me as an introvert i enjoy fewer interactions but really high quality interactions Uh, Mm. other people might feel differently so i think there is a lot of subjectivity around our social health needs And I think if I had to, (laughs) if I had to come up with a guideline off the top of my head, I would say a suggestion is to aim for one meaningful interaction each day. And that is in itself, you know, open to interpretation. What a meaningful interaction looks like for you might be different than what it looks like for me. And, um, but I think, you know, in, ter- in terms of kind of just having some number, that's a starting point, like 10,000 a day steps or eight hours of sleep a night, you know, if you can get one meaningful interaction each day, that's a really good thing. But, you know, what, what's tricky with social health, as I'm saying, is that it, it is really subjective. And I think there, there are so many elements that go into it. It's where you're getting it from, right? Is it from your romantic partner or your friends or your family or your coworkers or your neighbors, right? There are so many different sources that it can come from. Also different, you know, communities you belong to. Maybe it's an organization you volunteer with or your employer or things like that. And then what feels nourishing can, can really vary for people. So maybe it's as simple as, just a smile and a warm hello to someone you pass in the street. Maybe it's just sending a few text messages, exchanging with with friends, um, or maybe it's really a, a deep conversation, or maybe it's helping someone, you know, when they're feeling down, or, um, you know, th- there are just so many forms that it can take. So I think there can be well i would invite listeners to really take the opportunity to explore what that means for them what does social wellness look like for you is it frequent interactions all the time is it you know fewer interactions but really deep ones and, and what is what, what kinds of interactions are are really meaningful for you so yeah I, I would say you know aim for one meaningful interaction a day but really explore the fact that there is room to play with this and to explore what feels good—that's
0: really beautiful. And I think, you know, it reminds me a lot about um, <clears throat> positive psychology and and you know well-being uh, and you know this this term subjective well-being. Right? It's mm-hmm. like it is subjective, and you know loneliness, like you said, it's 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 the subjective perception of isolation. It's not necessarily isolation itself. And Mm -hmm. so that is so important. And I love that you're talking about this. I mean, I'm (laughs) super biased because this is, this is the very thing that I'm going to be studying for my dissertation. If everything goes well, um, is these different types of friends, like, you know, you know, one meaningful interaction each day, Um, and, and where, like, what, what is it that you need? Like, which type of connection do you need? And so I, I really want to map out all these different types of friends, uh, you know, that we have, whether it's like a close friend where you can deep, you know, have a deep conversation or, a um, or, you know, kind of some a positive connection with like an Uber driver, you know, who you're never gonna <laughs> see again. Um, but which is still like I think really good for your health, you Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Yeah. Um and and so, you know, are they are they um interactions that you have on a more frequent basis or a less frequent basis? Is it something that's um more intimate or less intimate? Mm-hmm. Um and and you know sometimes and and even like um, from the standpoint of this perception, right, and subjective subjectivity, you know that could even be um, uh, this kind of mystical friend, you know, that's mm. like that that <laughs> we don't even, you know, it, whether that means God or somebody who mm. um, is uh, really close to you that, but that had has passed away, and you, yeah. s- but you still feel close to them, or you know, or a hero that you have that you've never met or who Mm -hmm. lived hundreds of years ago, but you feel really close to, you know, and, and really like you can actually feel even in solitude, super close and, and have that meaningful connection with, you know, that mystical friend. And I, that's something that I, I want to kind of explore a little bit too, but I love that you're talking about that that because (laughs) I think you really can feel that meaningful connection depending on what you need, right, and. and
1: Yeah, you know. I love that, Andy. I, I think that's such a beautiful insight that you can feel connected to people, even if they're not necessarily there, like to mm. God or to a loved one who's passed away. I think that's a really beautiful insight and something that's important to keep in mind right now during the pandemic, when we're not necessarily having <laughs> as many interactions and it's, yeah. it's harder to feel connected to people. But I think you're right that There's value in prayer or in reminiscing about memories those can confer feelings of connection in the, in and of themselves. But I, I really look forward to your research in this space. I'm so <laughs> thrilled that you'll be studying this and I can't wait for all the insights that emerge from your work.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. I'm excited as well. And um, I think it'll be helpful. I mean, my goal is to help, help people to, to be empowered, you know, just like you or um, you're, where you're not just saying, okay, this is, this is really important, but you're saying, here's what you can do, you know, here's, like you just said, one meaningful interaction each day. Um, And, and, you know, I'm sure there's, there's plenty of data to back that up, you know, (laughs) So, um, so I think that that's really amazing. You know, you uh, speaking of of you being an activist and getting yourself out there, um, you wrote a really great piece on social wellness, uh, the, this social wellness landscape, and how you know over a hundred organizations, I think, were on your list or something like that, are trying to really help improve social wellness for people what are maybe a few examples of of companies you know or organizations who are are doing it well right now
1: yeah it's so interesting to see the innovation in this space there were already a lot of startups in this space prior to the pandemic but now it it's just absolutely exploded and i can't keep up <laughs> there i think <laughs> the list that i have i think there's about 150 right now but i'm sure that wow. there are many i'm missing because uh, it seems like I hear about a new one every single day. Yeah. So that the article you're talking about was called "The Growing Social Wellness Landscape," and um, yeah, I, I basically wanted to look at all the different kind of tech, social media esque uh, innovations that are emerging. So there are a lot mm-hmm. of new apps, platforms, tools um, that that entrepreneurs are creating, and that investors are investing in because uh, increasingly people see the need and recognize the fact that a lot of the current social media or technology platforms that we use, you know, they have pros and cons, but the connection is not always that meaningful. And a lot of innovators and entrepreneurs are saying, okay, well, you know, I have design experience. Let's design a a digital tool that's actually uh, you know, conducive to more meaningful connection. So there are, um, like I said, over 150 on that list alone. And in terms of which ones are doing it well, you know, it it's, I haven't tried them all myself, obviously. <laughs> um, but I think what I'll say is that there are different trends unseen in what's emerging that I'm really excited about. So one of those trends is, um, creating digital spaces that feel like you're in person. So it's not just kind of a couple boxes on Zoom. It's actually like physical spaces where you can move around a landscape and interact with different people who are in different places in that. Mm -hmm. Um, Or things like some of the innovations in virtual reality or augmented reality that actually enable people to feel like they're physically in a space with other people. Those I think are really mm. interesting. Some of the others are around intergenerational connections. So there's a lot of startups emerging that try and pair people of different generations, especially younger people with older adults who may have different needs. Um, Papa yeah. is a great example of that. Uh, Mona Me. there's quite a few startups in that space that I think mm. are really interesting. I think there's so much value in intergenerational connection. So it's really great to see that happening. Another um, that I think is interesting is there's a lot kind of focused on bringing people together across political lines and across mm. other divides. And I think right now in the US, we really, really need that. I mean, the division and polarization is pretty palpable. Mm. And so it's interesting to see the way that they are kind of facilitating those conversations. Um, and there, there's much more. I mean, I, I think those are a few of the trends I'm seeing. Yeah. There are others. The other thing I'll say is that that document specifically focused on kind of technology and social apps, but there's a ton of in- innovation beyond that related to social isolation and loneliness. There's innovation going on in the government, there's a ton of nonprofits and different programs emerging across the country Mm. there's also you know connection coaches and and kind of different roles that are emerging to um address people's social health needs at the individual level so across the board you know and in whichever sector you look at there are really interesting things happening in this space
0: that's really uh very hopeful honestly yeah Uh, yeah I think it's it's neat to see people rise up and 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 you know uh, try to tackle some of these issues that I think are that that I think they feel just as much as they, they're, like they're not just out there reading these articles. like they're feeling it too. you know, I think everybody's Absolutely. kind of feeling it, you know, and I think'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really excited for the day where it becomes normal to say, you know, I'm lonely and mm. and like it's it's just as normal as saying like hey you know i'm i'm kind of hungry let's go get a bite to eat you know it's <laughs> like i'm a lonely and um like there was a study recently that that um i think it was through MIT or something uh-huh. where they showed you know that 10 hours of hunger Um, registered in the brain very similarly to 10 hours of, of loneliness or social isolation, um, which was just fascinating. Right. Uh, And so anyways, I think that's, that's really hopeful to see people um, and organizations and and the government kind of rising up and speaking of the government, you know, in the, in the U S like we, we just barely passed this big kind of election season, you know, tension kind of is still a little bit high probably from that um and you know we're thinking a lot about the government and um, i think i have i've looked at other governments like like the uk and um like for example that has a minister of loneliness you know i interviewed somebody else who um uh who was was a part of an initiative um under the ministry of loneliness in the uk called the friendly benches i can't remember mm-hmm if uh it was i think it's Lindsay Smith i i hope i didn't forget her last name Lindsay <laughs> Smith i'm pretty sure she's an amazing person who's over that and she's doing great things um and uh and you know i think that there aren't at least uh my perception has been that there's not as many things going on in the united states to help with the loneliness and social isolation problems Um, but maybe like you're saying that there's, there are some really innovative things that are going on in the government. You just mentioned the coalition to end loneliness, like what are, what is going on in the U S or even in specific States, you know, to help with this loneliness problem.
1: Yeah, totally. So, well, first of all, I'll mention that uh, it was just announced last week that Japan has also now appointed a Minister for Loneliness, which is really interesting. They had a huge rise in suicides over the last Mm. year, and because they uh, found that social isolation and loneliness was a big contributor to that. Mm. they, uh, they just appointed a, a minister to, to focus on that as well. So it'll be interesting to to see what, what comes of that, yeah. but yeah, in the U S closer to home, um, you know, there there. We don't have a minister for loneliness or a secretary <laughs> for loneliness, but there are some really interesting things happening. So one is on the legislation side side. There's actually been some policy passed and proposed, um, recently related to social isolation and loneliness. So one is that last year, the Supporting Older Americans Act, which actually became law, included specifications for the Assistant Secretary for Aging to focus on isolation and loneliness among older adults, specifically, I believe, uh, to create a report as well as to come up with a long-term plan to support different state and local initiatives. So that Mm -hmm. actually passed. And then more recently, there was an act that was proposed, and I think it might have been reintroduced or is about to be reintroduced, called the Strengthening Social Connections Act. And this, again, is, is focused on social isolation and loneliness among older adults, um, but it'll allocate actually a significant amount of budget and funding toward activities um, around this. So that's really exciting. But so that's kind of on, on the policy side. And then, in terms of what's underway, the Administration for Community Living is a a government body that runs initiatives for uh, older adults and people with disabilities. And I actually served as a judge for a competition that they ran Hmm. at the end of last year and early this year to develop essentially a social, or sorry, a, a technology platform where people can go and search for tailored social engagement opportunities. So hmm. it's not public yet. Uh, it's still under development, but I was a judge for this competition and the winner was announced in January and so they they are developing this platform where anyone anyone will be able to go and actually find kind of social connection opportunities. Um, It is again designed primarily for older adults and and people with disabilities. And then the the Administration for Community Living has also launched a campaign called Commit to Connect and that is geared uh, again at at raising awareness about social isolation and loneliness and really kind of accelerating solutions uh, in different states and, and communities. So Those are some exciting Mm. things. I mean, I will note that all of that is really focused on older adults. And I think that's Mm. a huge gap in the government efforts right now. A lot of the studies have shown that social isolation and loneliness actually affect younger generations more than older adults, especially Mm. Gen Z, um, as well as millennials. So I think That's kind of a gap, and we need to make sure that a lot of these federal initiatives support people of all ages, especially now. I mean, we're (laughs) right, isolation and loneliness during the (laughs) pandemic are age agnostic, everyone is at risk for feeling them. Mm. Um, So, I think it, but even, even outside the context of the pandemic, it's really important for. Uh, these solutions to be inclusive of all ages. And then at, at kind of the state and local level, there's so much going on. I mean, I'll just say I'm involved with the AARP Massachusetts Task Force to end loneliness and build community. And we've done a number of events. We have a campaign called Reach Out MA, um, and we've published a report um, with recommendations for how communities can strengthen community ties uh, in their neighborhoods. So mm-hmm. there, there really is a lot going on. But I think it's just the beginning. (laughs) We need Mm -hmm. to expand to more ages. um, And we need to really involve all kinds of stakeholders, right? It's not just up to government to address social isolation and loneliness. There's a lot that needs to happen for that to, to come to life.
0: That's so hopeful. I love, I love hearing all that. And it makes me excited um, that there are so many, you know, like organizations. Um, I mean, this is, that's just the government and, and you just listed also, you know, all these, all these companies too um, mm-hmm. that are, that are doing things. So, I mean, it's out there, there's a buzz, there's a, you know, there's a movement that's happening and it's hopeful, you know, I'm, I, I'm uh, very clearly an optimist and I think, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> podcast about happiness right and about um, a more happy life and and I really do believe it I I'm I'm a believer in it and I think um, you know I, I don't I don't avoid the negative um, well I don't I don't try to uh, block out all the negative news or or, 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 or I guess um, pretend that it's not happening um, because it is you know and, and I talked to Maro Gatti about this um, a couple episodes back about you know uh, the, his thing called the happy broadcast and really not, it's not about, you know, ignoring the bad stuff. It's about really highlighting the good stuff. And I love that we're talking about all the good things that are happening here because it is, I think the world is getting better, you know, and and there's, (laughs) there's data that shows it. I mean, um, you know, if anybody's read um johan uh norberg's book called progress um his he's an economist who you know talks about the fact there's like 10 major areas that the world's getting better you know and and so i think not that there's no bad things happening in the world but i think there are lots of good things and this is like the best time To be alive in all of history so thank you for like increasing that because i think a lot of people are are afraid that like oh gosh this is like i mean it is it is an issue that we are we, we need to we need to you know tackle obviously like you and i are both like dedicating our our so much time in our lives to this um but you know but 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 things things are getting better and people are people are reaching out to, to do good things. So, anyway, Absolutely. One there, one, there's there's lots one. of
1: good underway and and I share yeah. your optimism.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. No, it's it's so true. So, um so so so, so speaking of of pessimism. <laughs> so there's a very very pessimistic or very uh kind of uh, negative light uh, documentary I mean a lot of documentaries are, are really good at that but um, <laughs> the the social dilemma right it just came out well not just but it came out recently in the last year or so um, in, on Netflix and um, has has come up in a lot of conversations because you know other than being a well-being activist um, you know I'm, I'm also a social media and digital marketing professional and so you know, people are always like, Oh, have you seen the social dilemma? <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> um, and so, so first of all, have, have, have you seen the film? It's, it's, it's okay if you haven't, but have you seen yeah. social dilemma? Okay.
1: Yeah, I have. Yeah. I actually knew Tristan
0: okay, before
1: yeah. he went and got all famous,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but it's been incredible to see him spread this message and really mm. advocate for humane technology. And so, yeah, I, mm. I have, absolutely have
0: seen the film and was really excited to do so cool yeah no that's awesome um do you th- do you think that like um maybe I should ask the question like what do you think was the main message of the social dilemma
1: whoa <laughs> for, for, for well, you maybe for
0: you, and no or yeah sorry that's kind of a huge question <laughs> <laughs> no I'll
1: take it <laughs> there's a lot
0: of there's a lot of a lot packed in there but
1: Yeah, I I guess the takeaway for me is that we need to do better, (laughs) right? I think... You know, I'll speak to what I know. So yeah, what I've read in the literature about social media use is pretty conflicted, right? There are studies showing mm-hmm. that social media makes you depressed and miserable and feel awful about yourself. There's also studies showing that it's really good and it makes you actually feel happy and feel more connected to people. Yeah. But I think the bottom line is that it's how we use it, right? If you're using social media and you're just doom scrolling, and not engaging in meaningful ways with the other people on the platform then yeah it's it's not going to feel great but if you're using technology and social media to you know stay connected to people or to Find new communities that you care about or to, um, you know, just connect in more meaningful ways. It can be obviously a really powerful tool. It's how we met, right? It's how yeah, we exactly. <laughs> this conversation uh-huh. is thanks to social media. Right. But I, I think the problem is we're just so early on. And, and right now, social media is designed for quantity. It's not designed Mm. for quality. And that's why I'm excited about all the innovation that's going on in this space and some of the new startups that are coming and not necessarily trying to replace Twitter or Facebook, but trying to say, hey, we can design digital tools that allow people to uh, stay in touch and to have meaningful conversations and actually connect in in these more positive ways. So Mm. I feel like the whole field is in its infancy and we have a long way to go before these tools are really going to be designed for quality and really serve our best connection interests.
0: I love that. Yeah, I think that's really powerful and I love, you know, that, uh, you know, doom scrolling and mindless scrolling at all. I think scrolling just without, (laughs) (laughs) without without a, you know, purpose of the scrolling can just be so bad. Um, and, uh, and can also give you a neck ache if you, if you haven't, you know, gotten out of bed yet, you know, and you're just like, wait, oh my gosh, an hour later. Um, you know,
1: what's funny. I used to be really worried about that, that my neck was going to get messed up from looking down (laughs) at my phone, but then I realized it's the same with books right? Yeah. When you read a book, this has always been an issue. You crane your yeah. neck to look down at a book. So maybe it's not really a new problem. I don't know. Right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's true. It's true. Um, Yeah. And I, I, and I just, I love that you talked about, you know, the good that comes from social media and, um, you know, going back to what we were saying, that, that one meaningful connection per day, right? Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of times that is through social media or through some app that's been developed. You can call it social media if you want to call it social media, but that has allowed me to feel like I belong to yeah. somebody else, or has allowed me to feel like I'm a part of something meaningful or has allowed me to to connect with somebody in a way that adds to, you know, the story that I'm telling myself. Yeah. And I think that that is so powerful when we can do that. I, I have, I have so many friends. I have, I have this friendship wall on my wall where <laughs> I just like, there's something that I decided to do a couple years back um, because I had all these pictures on social media and on my phone of my friends and myself and I um, but like, how often did I go looking for those pictures <laughs> of people that I'm connected to? Mm-hmm. And so I, I built this album in my phone called friendship wall. And then I ended up just using this like free app that's called, I think it's like free prints or something like that. Um, that allows you to just like print off your photos, like, like you used to at Walmart, you know, <laughs> like when you brought the roll of film in and, you know, and they printed it off for you and, and so I just it's 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 very not aesthetically pleasing um but it's very inspiring to me because it helps me to look at those pictures and say hey like I do have friends you know (laughs) just on my wall so um you know
1: I love that I love so
0: it's kind of my yeah but um I, I think I got I kind of got lost in, in a tangent there, but I like I, that.
1: That's really neat. <laughs> I mean, you could also you said it's a bit of an eyesore. You could also use frames and make it pretty.
0: <laughs> you should, yeah, You're you. Really you old would, school. My wife would just love you. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I I, I agree. I, I should I should definitely do that. Um, <laughs> but but to it help
1: Andy about kind of social media and and it being good. I mean, I also think about right now going through the pandemic if we didn't have FaceTime and Zoom and and yeah. you know Facebook how would we how would we manage this i mean i have a great yeah. grandmother who passed away from the spanish flu and mm-hmm. she when she first exhibited symptoms she was isolated on an island off of washington state i believe and completely cut off from her family of course because it was contagious mm-hmm. and she died there alone without any contact it's not like she had a smartphone where she could be texting her family and facetiming with her kids she passed away in complete isolation and so i i do think about the fact that i'm very grateful to have social media and to have these different technology tools right now so that we're not going through this completely alone we we can reach out and connect with people no matter where they are
0: yeah I I totally agree and um and that helped me to remember why I went off on that big tangent was because (laughs) (laughs) half the people probably or more um that are on my friendship wall have come because of a connection through social media Mm. And so those are the people that I really, that I hold dear and that I've gone deep with and that I've, you know, that we've taken it offline, you know, Mm -hmm. gotten in person and we've, we've, you know, broken bread together or whatever. And it, it just, it's it's because of social media that that happened. And, yeah. um, and so yes, they are real people and they're now on my wall, but <laughs> if, if it weren't for, you know, Twitter or Periscope or, um, you know, Instagram or Facebook or my blog back in you know, the day, um, I don't know if I would have come to know those people.
1: Yeah. And
0: it's, and maybe that's generational, right. But, but I think it's powerful.
1: Absolutely. I also work with a lot of patient groups and kind of in the healthcare space. and um, you know, I, I think about patient groups where people have really rare diseases, and they're mm-hmm. able to, you know they don't know anyone in their neighborhood or their city who shares their rare disease, but mm-hmm. they're able to connect with people who do online and to find mm-hmm. that support, to be able to share learnings and and share in that healing journey. And that is incredibly powerful, that sense of support from someone who understands you. And a lot of those relationships would not happen without technology. So you're absolutely right that there are definitely ways that we can find our communities and and find people who end up becoming our best friends.
0: Yes, yes, 100%. So I want to kind of Uh before we a couple questions left here. Um uh one thing kind of we were talking a little bit about how you know this this is um something that's starting to become more of a public health priority. So how if 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 you had like a you know a genie in a bottle and you could just have three wishes, you know, and one of those wishes was to like do the things that would help make positive social relationships a public health priority. Like,
1: what would that be?
0: (laughs) What would that what would you ask the genie?
1: Oh, ah, that's a great question. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I, I wrote an article, I think it was three years ago, called To Combat Loneliness, Promote Social Health. And in it, I, I kind of laid out, I referenced Julianne's research, and I laid out, um, you know, what we needed to do to create, uh, to, make a, to make social relationships a public health priority. And I recently reread that article, and I couldn't believe it, because so much of what I laid out in that article and so much of what Julianne laid out in her research is happening. It's really underway. I mean, this this movement is happening. Relationships are becoming a public health priority increasingly. And so it's really exciting to see that happen. So I I think the question or the wish for the genie is is not to make that happen. It's to really build on the current momentum and to make sure that um, the action that's underway Continues and expands. Mm-hmm. So, right now, I think the, the kind of three focus areas I would say in my mind are one, really communicating the research to the general public. I think, you know, there are so many amazing insights in the academic literature that never reach, you know, people who aren't academic and, and yeah. don't, don't read totally. scientific journals. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, really bridging those insights in meaningful ways. A second area is linking that to the programs and all the initiatives that are underway, right? So really more closely marrying what the research says and what's being done because there are, there like we've talked about, you know, there are government initiatives, there are all these startups, there are many nonprofits focused on this space. There are grassroots community builders who are leading initiatives. There's so much going on. And I think closer unity where those are, you know, able to inform the research and vice versa is really important. And then mm. the final kind of most important part is that I think we need to start prioritizing social connection at all levels and in all industries. So it's government policy to, to kind of really legitimize this issue and to allocate resources to it. It's employers recognizing that they can benefit from running yeah. social wellness programs. There was really interesting data that came out of Cigna estimating that mm. lonely workers cost the US economy $406 billion each year in lost productivity and missed work days because employees are lonely. Um, wow. so that that's a huge toll. <laughs> so oh it's gosh. employers running programs. I think it's schools teaching emotional intelligence and social skills and kindness and empathy to students. It's healthcare providers screening for loneliness in doctor visits. There's a whole movement. Um, mm. Inspired by the UK's practice of social prescribing, to really uh, put this put loneliness into doctors' visits, mm. it's also architects and urban planners designing our physical spaces and our neighborhoods and our buildings for connection and optimizing. Our, our places <laughs> for for community, and it's each and every one of us taking action in our own lives, reaching out to our friends and family, really making relationships a priority in our own lives. So I think, you know, it, it starts small, but you can already see as we've talked about all the things that are underway, and as that grows and grows, and there are all these different stakeholders you know creating programs and and taking action it that's that's how you change a culture and that's how our culture comes to really prioritize and and care about and be centered on social well-being
0: wow that's that's just so inspiring and i i'm excited um for for the for the genie to uh to grant <laughs> those wishes me too <laughs> and uh and you know i think it's it's inspiring because i was just reading about how you know depression is um, I think it's worldwide, you know, the number one uh, cause of disability and cost, you know, mm-hmm. um, f- of disability uh, comes from, from depression. And, um, you know, there's definitely a link, you know, between loneliness
1: Absolutely. And, and,
0: and depression and um, social and, and anxiety even. And, you know, and so I'm just I love this vision that you're (laughs) picture that you're painting. So I think it's, it's amazing. So, um, you know, I I asked this question to all my guests and I love this question and I'm excited for your answer. So we've talked about a lot of things, but what other advice do you have for listeners who just really want to have a more happy life today?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I think for me, happiness is really about meaning and purpose and deeper fulfillment that comes from focusing my energy on projects and collaborations and, and work that I believe is meaningful for the world and and is helpful. And I think, Mm. you know, it, it might not be your day job, right? We have to pay bills and we have to have to do things to make the world work, but it could be volunteering with an organization, or it could be cooking a meal for a loved one, or, you know, there, there are so many ways to kind of tap into activities and causes that we care about, and that really elevate the everyday to something more important, to something that we feel energized by, and that makes us feel alive. So to me, it's, Like living a happy life is really about contributing and feeling like what I'm doing matters and is aligned with my sense of inner calling and purpose. Um, Because I think, you know, I talk a lot about the importance of connecting with other people, but you also have to connect with yourself and your own sort of inner wisdom and compass and let that drive you. So whether it's in your day job or through, you know, activities you do uh, for fun, I think really living your life around meaning and purpose. Um, that's that's the best we can aim for. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I love that. That's beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much. This <laughs> has just been so, such a pleasure. And um, one of my favorite things to do in life is to to connect with with amazing people like you on my podcast. So thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you, follow your work, um, you know, discover more, support you.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Andy. This was so much fun. And I'm really, really excited for your PhD and all the amazing (laughs) work you're going to do. And I can't wait to write articles about the studies you publish. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So if people want to want to connect with me or follow my work, I have a website, casleykillum.com. You can find all my articles there. You can subscribe to my newsletter there. You can learn more about me there. Um, And I'm active on Twitter and Instagram as much as Uh, as much as my well-being will allow. (laughs) So (laughs) so definitely uh, follow me on those two spots and it's just at Casler Killam.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. And we'll definitely link to that. So thank you for your time and I appreciate you being on the show.
1: Thank you so much, Andy.
0: I really hope this episode helped you to have a more happy life today. If you enjoy this episode, share it and let me know by tapping the stars in the reviews. You can also find me on Instagram at morehappylife or by going to morehappylife.co. Thanks for listening and see you soon.